Welcome to Products of Grace, a podcast by Mercy Hill Church. My name is Lawson Harlow, and with me is Don and Will. Don, what are we doing today? All right, so my thoughts are thinking about the podcast. So one of the one of the foremost purposes of our podcast, and I'm looking at this also, is to showcase Christian community because I think I think there's a lot of value in that, right? That, of course, like social media can do its thing, and there's a lot of stuff out there that may or may not pertain to us. But I think like you know, allowing this podcast to portray like real friendships, um, you know, people who live, love, and laugh together in Christ. You know, I just think like there's an endearing aspect of our community, which um, which, and then also like to talk about a biblical relevant topic as we've done. Um, so as you mentioned, we have Will with us, uh, today as our guest, uh, Will is not just for the listening audience. So Will is not a member of Mercy Hill. Say hi, Will. Hi. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, you know listening to it in the morning. <clears throat> yeah. Just, uh, oh, sorry. Hello. It's a good day. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, good day. <laughs> so, um, so like I said, Will's not a member of Mercy Hill. <clears throat> But Will and I uh, have been friends since August of 2006. Your precision's yeah. weird. Well, and you guys, before the before we started recording, we're talking about, like, how did we meet? And I was like, no, 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 we, we can't get into this. So this, <laughs> this is like brand new information for Lawson and Will to talk with me about how did we meet. So, and, and my friendship, or our friendship, excuse me, Will and, our, Will and I's friendship is interesting to me. And I don't think uh, I'm alone in this experience as a Christian, which is that Will and I didn't have our friendship uh, originate inside the local church, although we're both Christians. And so I would consider Will as one of my best friends, and we have discussed on many occasions how to best walk through many of life's trials and tribulations as a Christian husband, father, church member, and even businessman. And actually, before we started recording, we just got done <laughs> having <laughs> a huge laugh about marital strife and that's probably good. None of that got recorded. Yeah, we're, not, we're not talking about any of that. We're not talking about any of that. Yeah, so, uh, so as I said, Will and I didn't have our friendship originate inside the four walls of the church, but rather meeting each other as citizens of the kingdom outside the four walls of each of our respective church homes. And that's just a long way of saying Will and I met through work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. agreed. So, Will, uh, what's your full legal name? No. Full legal name? Yeah. Oh, that's right. He's we anonymous. decided not. He's anonymous. Yeah. So, William Will, what's your anonymous? What, well, give us your without your last name. What is your first and middle name? Will uh, legal is William Rhett. Okay, William Rhett. W R. Yes. Okay. W Drew. And we have a reason why Will's not going to share his last name. <laughs> so well, I've um, already known it by now, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I, I'll describe for us later why that is. So. So, like I said, Will and I met in August 2006. Uh, we were both hired by a community bank, uh, which will be unnamed. And, uh, oh, we're not going to name them? No, we don't. I don't normally <laughs> name any place, time, date. It's just so this, okay. this thing can age well. That's fine. And so um, Will and I met at lending school. And so we're, we both had to go uh, to a city in North Mississippi and stay Several, I mean, was it several days? It was a week. Night? A week. Yeah, so we both stay a week. a week back in 2006. <clears throat> and so Will and I uh, are in the same classroom pretty much like for eight hours a day. Yeah. And so it's one of these deals where it's like you're either going to eat alone in your room or you're going to make friends or eat alone. Like and out we know what you're going to do. Yeah, and yeah, well, he was sitting on the same road by God's providence. We yeah, started so we, talking. we started talking. 
And uh, just so you know, I'm the guy who sits by himself the whole week. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's something. me. I don't. I don't want to. We would have come and talked to you. Yeah. My first, my first uh, three months of seminary, by the way, I literally intended to make no friends. That's terrible. I know. I'm, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> and a friend of mine walked up and said, "You're going to be my friend." That's pretty much how my relationships work. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, one of the nights, we go to dinner, and there's another guy that goes with us. <laughs> And I still remember his name. I have Eric. his business card in my, in Do you? my yes. Have his business card? Yes. So he's sitting there. So we're eating. I remember we were eating. I think it was Chili's. It was Chili's. Some, All right. Some run like of the that. mill. They're all the same. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're sitting there and he's got this ring on. This other guy's got, the, got this ring on. And the whole time I'm like, and it's just to me, like, if it's not a wedding ring, like, normally I don't have anything against guys that wear rings, but. <laughs> Outside of a wedding <laughs> ring, like my eyes get drawn to it because I'm curious yes. to like Why what it is. Why do you have all that playing on your finger? So he's like, he says, I don't know if he catches my eye. Do y'all know what this ring is? And I was like, you know me with my sense of humor. Oh, it's gosh. like it's a mood ring. <laughs> <laughs> you said that <laughs> it's a decoder. You're ring. the worst. And me being straightforward said no. Yeah. So it's a, it's a he says it's a Masonic temple ring. Oh. And so, like, Will and I, so keep in mind, like, I've only known Will for a handful Maybe of days. Maybe two days. Yeah. But we simultaneously, like, both ease back in our chair with that uh-oh look. <laughs> like, what have we gotten ourselves into? So this guy begins to tell us on how we should sell us. It's awesome. On this how we should join community. the Masons. Have you ever encountered, like, were Masons a thing in Grenada? Uh yeah, there there are Masons in Grenada, but I was already heavily warned of Masons. Okay. Before that, so I'm not offending anybody like in your family that I wouldn't care if you were. Okay. I mean, I have Masons, and I know a lot about them. What I don't know if you're going to say that, but at this point, you didn't know much about them. Mm -hmm. I did, and I I was ignorant. (laughs) Yes. So I was like, what is this secret society this guy talks about? (laughs) This is just national treasure stuff, right? Yeah. 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 So I was dropping bombs on the poor guy. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't going as he expected. He wasn't getting, he definitely wasn't getting Will because Will was so put off. Like I I knew like something was wrong. So Will was a good guy in that respect. So you preserved Don from masonry? Yeah. Uh, Well, we, we talked afterwards and I said, I think Eric wants to talk to you and not me. (laughs) I think he asked you to lunch later without me. So uh, Will and I both left that employer and went to work at another employer together. And I think that was in like 2013. So 2013. I went there in 2012. Mm -hmm. So uh, for years, uh, Will and I sat behind each other. Well, our backs. So if you were looking at your computer, Will was looking at his computer right behind me. Mm. Okay. So uh, we got to know each other pretty well and no walls no office yeah i mean hearing each other's conversations with (laughs) every conversation so for 40 hours a week for three plus years we worked there and uh it just for the just for the audience and for you Lawson. so will and i are essentially in sales um we have to use tactics of persuasion (laughs) to convince our target audience of whatever solution we have so after years of hearing me, so after so for Will, after years of hearing me over the phone and in meetings exercising my powers of persuasion. Oh my goodness. Will eventually asked me. So just point blank one day he looks at me and goes, 
I don't understand it. Do people not see through what's happening to them when you were saying <laughs> to them? I love this. Yeah. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, you are the ultimate used car salesman. (laughs) (laughs) So what I wanted to ask Will, for the record, is that a term of endearment or an insult? (laughs) Uh, Being truthful? No, it it was, at the time, it was endearment. It's just, it is fact. It is, that's just the way you are. Yeah, Like, it's not, it's not, I don't mean it in the sleazy car salesman way, but I do mean it sometimes in the sleazy car salesman way. That can be true. But. So I persuaded Will <laughs> to come on here because yes. Will has a ministry that he started. So Will, tell Lawson and I, I know what it is, but tell Lawson and our listening audience the name of the ministry you started. So it is called 1045. And, and you started it in? Gosh, uh, I looked it up because I'm precise with days, and I love saying circa right now. It's my new favorite word. <laughs> I think so. Ten forty five ministry Memphis circa twenty fourteen. I actually started in thirteen. We were recognized as a five hundred one c three in fourteen. Okay, so describe what ten forty five does. So or has done. We I'm... seek essentially to live out the verse Mark ten forty five, which was given to me by Don. Um, yes, I'm shaking. In one of our brain, brainstorming sessions, but that's uh, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we live that out by helping young men in the city of Memphis who are competing in football to succeed at life and beyond. We want them to succeed on the field and in life by by modeling what a Christian man would look like. And we do that. Uh, essentially, there was a double meaning Um we did 1045, there are 10 games in a high school football season. We were going to do 10, 10 games for 45, or 10 meals for 45 minutes, bring in a Christian speaker. And that way, at least once a week for 10 weeks, a minimum of 50 young men in inner city Memphis were going to hear the gospel 10 times. Okay. Uh, by God's grace, that's grown. So I won't name the schools, but right. there's you were partnered with one school and then uh, two. Then. Are you currently partnering with two schools? We're back to one because okay. the other school was not as receptive. Okay. Um, so going back to me persuading Will to come here. So Will had asked me at each one of these schools mm-hmm. to actually come and teach at one of these post-practice pregame meals. And uh, so I shared the gospel, I don't know, two, three times? I can't remember. I know two You've for been sure. three times. Okay, three times. So um, I actually tried to get you to come with me, Lawson, one time. So we, well, we, one time I think you actually had me set up to go, but I ended up not being able to. That's and true. you ended up filling in for me. We could have met a long time ago. We, well, could, we have. could have already been best friends. If you wouldn't have chosen to eat lunch by yourself. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what happened, but yeah. So um, like I said, Will was super reluctant to come on the podcast today. But using my power of persuasion, use car sales. I Manipu- can, yeah. it, can we call it manipulation? No, because people do that, and that's when it flips to an insult. And I do work with another guy that does say it's not persuasion; it's manipulation when it comes to you. And so, it, to, to you, yeah, to me, yeah, like, yeah. that's what he's. Yeah. he's uh, this is this? No, we're not going to name anybody. I, I'm not naming. I'm just wanting to know if it's no. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Double. I said to Will that he owed me 
for all the times that I have partnered with 1045, <laughs> and by coming, he could add Lawson to his list of invitees to come and share the gospel for 1045. Ooh. Twofold. So you I'm glad to do that. I've offered you up. <laughs> well, right now we're in a, in a pandemic, so we can't, yeah. we can't do that anyway. So to be determined. So... <laughs> I'm like a bartering chip, and I didn't even know it. Certainly. So, Will, I've been trying to tell Lawson uh, how to better leverage the time he spends over the phone or in person with those who call him for theological Q&A. And so let me just tell the backstory here. So, and you actually, I, I'm not on Twitter. I, I view Twitter from afar. And I think you actually subtweeted. I don't know if that's the word you call, but this is this is his tweet. Please don't day. throw my subtweets out. Okay, what did <laughs> I you post them to the public. I probably did. Okay. Elders, probably. yeah, quote, this is a subtweet. That really I quote, was. Elders must be accessible to the people God has entrusted to them. This is not said. This is shown. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me read it again. You got it. Yeah, I think so. Okay, because Lawson gets Q and A from people that don't. <laughs> Go to church here. Right. Which all started when I called you to have a No, it did not. I was, this was, no, no, this no, was long no. before that. I'm going to get there. Long before I'm going to get there. Just, we're we're okay. all going to... It's just all tied together. Right. <laughs> it never Through fails. your weird yeah. schemes. <laughs> so he's telling me, like, you know, the subtweet. Like, I don't get it. Why? Happy to answer the questions, but always want to end the conversation with someone that's calling me Lawson, who's calling Lawson, that that uh, why are they happy to answer the call? Happy to answer the Keep question. Tripping. But why why are they calling me if I'm Lawson and not calling their own pastor elder? Okay, so <laughs> I I tell uh, Lawson that every time that Will calls me, oh yeah, okay, or we go to lunch. I always end our conversations with, and this goes back to this is what I've been trying to train Lawson to do or teach him. So every time I say to Will, Will, resist, resist. Yeah, have I told you about a sweet little Baptist <laughs> fellowship just across the state line in Olive Branch, Mississippi, by the name of Mercy Hill Church? We would love for you to come. And so, Lawson, you may not know this, but this actually originated in my mind after every time Will called me to ask a question over the phone or we went to lunch, I did start it with him. <laughs> and so it's my way of communicating how I seriously want people to experience the love we have for one yeah. another here in our fellowship. Mm-hmm. And this, this is really the bottom line. But however, like the flip side of that is, right, this is the difference between like persa- persuasion and manipulation. <laughs> okay? However, it's really like my way of saying to you, Will, this is time billed, but time forgiven. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's so exactly like you owe me. Yeah. So now the two of you meet. And you actually, the first time y'all talked was just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Because it was Will, last week. A week ago. Last yeah, yeah so Will calls me and it's like, hey, I got a question. Yeah. So what do you think about? And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> My pastor's actually here. Let's put you on speakerphone and let's talk it out together. So to be clear, I wasn't calling Lawson. I did call Don. Yeah. Because that's how we roll. And so, th- I mean, just so everybody knows, like I've been telling Lawson, like, this is what you need to end your own theological Q&A <laughs> sessions with. And so, y'all, People are going to start getting really annoyed and not calling anymore, which I guess also is a remedy. Huh? Yeah, blesses their own purpose. fellowship. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, uh, Will calls with a theological question. I put him on speakerphone with Lawson. Y'all probably talked for like 20 minutes. I was just kind of in the background. Yeah. And uh, so, 
Do y'all want to know what Lawson hit Will with at the end of their conversation? And you guessed it. So Lawson says, after the question's answered, Will, let me tell you about a sweet little Baptist fellowship just across the state line in Olive Branch, Mississippi, by the name of Mercy Hill. We love. And he said, Lawson added, and we can be friends. We can be friends. It's true. So, y'all, I was like a proud sales manager with a budding new trainee. Like, I mean, the whole thing came together. So, And there's the smugness. There it is. So... To tell you the truth, like Will did not want to come on because of what is about to follow. <laughs> awesome. Okay. <laughs> so perfect. Which is a conversation about baptism. So yes. Will, you have often said to me, quit showing off with your big words. Yes. Okay. And you even said before we started before we started recording, you can keep your ologies. Yeah. Just give me Jesus. That's another that's another Willism that he says <laughs> often. So I was looking back through our text because I remember telling you something about this whole just give me Jesus, and you can keep your ologies. And I, this is 420, because remember, guys, I don't delete any text messages. So I was able to search back to 420, April 25th, 2018, and I texted you. We were in the middle of a debate, and I texted you, and if your theology is lazy, your doctrine is to blame. Oof. Ooh. And I was you're like, nice. jump yeah. back. People are telling me to be nice. You're mean. I know, no, right? This is where you have to have a relationship with somebody (laughs) telling the absolute truth. So we were actually debating each other on the issue about the tone of a Christian rebuke from a church (laughs) member towards Mm. a fellow church member in regards to, wait for this. It's circular. Here it comes. Wait for this. Masonic membership. (laughs) How do you do this? This is 2018. How do you do this? This This is 2018. How crazy is this? This man, look, he weaved, last, last week, he weaved okra. Through the entire podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so listen, I was so blown away. I was like, okay, so Will and I meet for the first time. A Mason is selling us on joining <laughs> the Masons. And then we get into one of our most heated debates about yes. church members yes. rebuking other church members, essentially church discipline, Yeah. around the tone of that discipline when it comes to Masonic membership. So anyways, that was just an interesting connection there. So Will, what denomination are you? Presbyterian. Okay, you can say it. In particularly, though, I'm frozen chosen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am. said, just tilted back a little bit. I am the Evangelical Presbyterian okay. Church, okay. the EPC. So we've chosen. So this ties back to Will's full legal name, which is kind of our MO for anybody that comes on. We always like to know that. This is why you chose not to answer, and we decided not to give your last name um, because we're not. We, we're not going to identify him with the church uh, because we've all agreed <laughs> to have a loving conversation on why we, and yes, I said we, are Baptist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Close. Yeah. Close. So we are choosing to hide that part of Will's identity for the sake of all parties. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is all right. I mean, okay. everyone's going to know who it is if they hear it from our. Yeah. We might have a reason to put your image on facebook too but that'll come later <laughs> so uh but before we, we begin we're not doing that which image you uh, know that's exa- what i'm getting at yeah okay, okay so y'all both share the fact that i've identified that each of you have an inner power animal <laughs> and so these these power animals have to not only capture your personality but also your looks in a sense okay it gets worse yours yeah. is fine okay so the definition of an inner power animal this is from urban dictionary it's a trusted one. source. <laughs> okay. You gotta be careful on Urban Dictionary. I know. 
Um, so a an inner power animal is defined as a person or a character that represents your inner personality. Someone who be- behaves as though they are showing your feelings through their own actions. This is a positive way to describe someone who you relate to in the way they react to situations and interact with people. Okay. Which you've already identified yourself as you're a bit smug. And what was the other thing that you told Will before we started? My spiritual gift is snark. Yeah, snark. snark. So smug and snark. Okay. So I actually have pictures of these. So who wants to go first? I'm going to show each one. You can do you, me. I don't care. Okay. So this is this is the best picture I have of Will, which is us at work. Oh, my God. Which actually, <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a moment in time. That's a story in and of itself. Yes, it is. Okay, there's Will. And it's a droopy dog, y'all. And I'm going <laughs> to post this. <laughs> Look, I'm going to post this on Facebook. I mean, that's so him. All right, so Lawson's is, and there you have to go with Lawson's church profile Professional pic first. Okay. It is. <laughs> it's Cheshire Cat. Cheshire. And, and you have to see, it's ouch. like the one from, is that the old school Alice in Wonderland? I, don't, I guess. I don't know. Okay. That yeah. So these four pictures have to go on Facebook so people know. Like, I'm not putting his picture on. Why did we not say his last name? Well, we could put Droopy Dog on there. Okay, we'll put but the thing, every time I call yeah. Will Droopy Dog, you always say, because it is a term of endearment. Do you remember what you always say about Droopy Dog? What he was, what always, he was known for? I always get my man. Yeah, he always gets his man. I may not get there the same way you do, but I will get there. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. So you, Lawson, you need to come up with some like endearing fact about Cheshire Cat that you can you can take and own. So that's your. Takeaway. I'm not Cheshire Cat. You so are. <laughs> okay, so I found it better to embrace. Yeah, even the if you don't believe, and it's just. <laughs> So I need to go find a redeemable quality inside <laughs> yeah, Cheshire Cat. Yeah, and that way you can you can you kind of take the edge off of it. All right, I'll do that. All right, so before we begin, I have a quote by Charles Spurgeon, oh, and here's the quote. A man who knows that he is saved by believing in Christ does not, when he is baptized, lift his baptism into a saving ordinance. In fact, he is the very best protester against that mistake, because he holds that he has no right to be baptized until he is saved. Mm-hmm. And so with that, men. Amen. We're done. I'm leaving. Let's dive in. I don't know about that one. Yeah, I like it. All it's right. a water one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that one. So um, so I've got a, before we like really get into it, I got a quick story about, so sweet, sweet family joined our fellowship with official membership last year, I believe. And so we're back in Lawson's office and they're in, they're meeting with us oh, and, yeah. and they, they had been visiting Will for like, you know, I don't know, like anybody, you know, a year. I mean, six plus, months plus, yeah. yeah. And so um, we're back there, husband, wife, two kids, and it's Western small talk, which... I only have so much. I think mm-hmm. anybody only has so much patience for. And so there's a real reason they're there because they're wanting to either ask questions about membership or they're wanting to join. So, Will, you'll like this. Like right in the middle of this whole Western 10-minute small talk weather and whatever else, like to get to the point, I go, let me just interrupt. I just need to ask y'all, what is it going to take to get you in this car today? 
<laughs> you did ask did. that. You did, did. ask that. <laughs> <laughs> which totally moved the entire moment to signing on the line, which is dotted, and now they are loved and cherished members of our fellowship. Three kids. Three kids? I'm not going to name because yeah. I, I don't want to put people's identities in there. Okay, that's fine. Um, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was thinking yeah, of the yeah. wrong family. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so with that, Lawson... Who can baptize? Uh, any uh, any believer in good standing. Okay. Because of the folks I'm thinking about, and I will say their last names, the Smith oh, yeah. family, and the husband. This made such an impression on you. It did. It did. Yeah. I I love the whole moment, and I'll, I'll share this. So yeah. his son is standing at the baptistry, and uh, the father looks at him, and, and he and I have laughed about this. I yeah. know he won't care that I share but it's like you get up there in that moment, and it's like you've got all this to say before you're about to baptize your son. And you could tell like he was ready and had like probably like six different marks in his Bible. All that stuff goes out the window because of the the weight of the moment. moment. Yeah. And he looks at his son and says, you know, do you profess faith? You know, acknowledges that, that there's a profession. He says yes, and then looks at his son and goes get in the water. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I love that. Like, that's just like, there's no way to mince words, get in the water. So the reason why I ask you that, it's an, it, I think it's an important distinction and shared responsibility that Lawson, you would say, like we share in as the priesthood of all believers. Yeah. Okay. So we don't, we don't Baptists don't believe in a priestly class, right? So right. ordination doesn't give you the ability. It's being a believer. You're called to fulfill the Great Commission. Okay. So... Uh, who can baptize in the historical Presbyterian church? Elders only. We, uh, Is that what you We seen? would probably even say pastoral elders. Oh, n- not even elders. ruling elders, only teaching elders? Okay. I gotcha. actually didn't know that's that. That's what you've seen? That's, At least in your fellowship. Yeah. Gotcha. So, um, I, mean, I don't know that they specifically say that, but that's... So the, the, confession, the confession says that there is a that the elders, those who are ordained, but that ordination essentially imbues them with the right to to actually administer the sacraments. But the practice you've seen is yeah. really teaching. That's actually interesting. I, I really didn't know that. Um, so every time we've opened the waters of baptism to be administered by someone, not an elder or not an elder, uh, we've always implored them, and last time I've heard you several times, we've always implored them, we baptize, make sure we baptize in the name of the Father, name of the Son, and of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Why do we do this? Well, because there's only one baptism, and that baptism is a Trinitarian baptism. And so when we're, when someone is baptized into the faith, they're baptized into the Father and to the Son and to the Spirit. But that mm-hmm. is the triune God. So you heard me ask about Presbyterian history. And so, um, and obviously there's some distinctive differences there between Baptist history, but I'm not, you're not going to be alone, Will, in us meddling in Presbyterian history because <laughs> I have a little, a, a little bit to do in Baptist history, which is. Um, I want to turn my attention to um, a quote by Charles Spurgeon again, and it's a little bit of a back-and-forth like conversation that he's, um, he's kind of mock-having, uh, and it's from 1889. And he says, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Addressing the common discussion about baptism being essential, he goes on to say, What do you mean by non-essential? I mean that I can be saved without being baptized. Will you dare to say that wicked sentence over again? I mean that I can be saved without being baptized. And he says, you mean creature. So you will do nothing that Christ commands if you can be saved without doing it? 
you are hardly worth saving at all. <laughs> a man who always wants to be paid for what he does, whose one idea of religion is that he will do what is essential to his own salvation, mm. only cares to save his own skin, and Christ may go where he likes. Clearly you are no servant of his. You need to be saved from such a disreputable, miserable state of mind, and may the Lord save you. And he says, oftentimes I do believe that this little matter of believer's baptism is the test of the sincerity of our profession of love to him. So, Lawson. I don't think anybody on the planet can be as spicy and winsome in the in the same. I can't repeat the word that came to my mouth when I first <laughs> read that on this podcast because I was like, I mean, burn. Yeah. I mean, that was just fiery. So his position, in, and he's in our Baptist history, and he's the uh, his nickname is the Prince, the of, Prince Preachers. of Preachers. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, everybody knows who Charles Spurgeon is. He he believed that baptism is essential. So is bat Lawson is baptism essential? Essential for what? Salvation. Yes and no. Okay, so explain. Yeah, so it's. So a, I've got thoughts on this. Lawson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, but but it really is an important distinctive because I think Will and I have actually. You realize this. We've actually had a circular conversation about this where we could never get off the merry-go-round. Yeah, well, it is a merry-go-round. It is. Like, it really is. And so I think Baptists have historically—well, over the last couple of decades have done a great disservice to baptism, and we've replaced it with a sinner's prayer. Mm. Meaning that, like, if you want to be saved, come say this prayer, and that's the means of entry into mm. the faith family that you're being baptized into or baptized via the Lord's prayer or the sinner's prayer— um, but originally, when someone was baptized, it was their profession of faith. Um, their profession of faith was, I'm going through these waters out of obedience to Christ to be bought, to be brought into a, first, the church of God that he bought with his blood, and secondly, the local body that I'm now part of. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, yes, it's necessary for salvation because you were ransomed, and thus you aim for obedience to the one who ransomed mm-hmm. you. The second answer is, no, it's not necessary for salvation because... The individual who has repented and placed faith in Christ is immediately then by the Spirit baptized into Christ mm. via the via the work of the Spirit. Mm. Though um, that's not an excuse for disobedience. Mm. So I asked Will. So I asked Lawson yesterday. We don't normally cover much, but because this was going to be a, a unique and interesting conversation, <laughs> I asked Lawson. I said, "What do you think about?" talking about this particular subject, and he said, well, you'll have to, that's a Will question. So before we started recording, I asked Will. Will's response was, I'll talk about whatever you want. And Lawson goes. <laughs> Which was an error. Yeah, and Lawson goes, uh, I love you already. Because those are the true. type of people I like. Yeah. I just like open books. So, mm-hmm. Will, your oldest professed faith in Christ, you and I were actually working together at the yep. time, and you were dealing with as a parent, because I think it's so unique and interesting. The reason why I want to talk about it is because I think it's a really unique happening in the life of a new believer that they desire to be baptized. And so mm-hmm. one of your children who had been, uh, you wanted me to call it infant baptism, we'll call it pedo baptism, and you, you've said stop, stop it with your big with words. Your... <laughs> it's like that's not a big word. It is, $5 word. <laughs> so anyways, he had been baptized in, as an infant, and uh, he professed faith and wanted to be baptized, and you and I talked through this, mm-hmm. and I told you, and so I, I wanted to talk, Loss. I wanted to get your opinion. So the advice I was giving him was, I don't care where you do it. Baptize him in your pool. Baptize him in your bathtub. Baptize him in front of friends. And Lawson's head's drooping all over the place right now. But you went and sought uh, biblical counsel from your elder. And mm-hmm. So what did the elder sh- share with you? And and you submitted to this. this Ultimately, I mean, what, the yeah, one baptism, we don't do it twice. Say it louder. 
We have one baptism. We're not going to do it twice okay. because you're because you're if it's a sign of his redemptive faith, he he you don't fall out of it. Okay. So he was upholding that the 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 infant baptism was a valid baptism. Yes. Lawson, take your scalpel of snark <laughs> and cut through all of this. Okay, so what all what all am I hitting? So my advice as a Baptist was Go, bring him on down, find something. Find somewhere, all someplace. Right, so I'll start with that one okay. all my way around. Okay. So number one, I actually baptized my brother in law okay. in Grenada Lake. Okay. Uh, that is a valid baptism. It is not best practice. Right. So, for instance, the best practice would be to baptize him inside of the local body that he will be a part of. Because that is that is indeed a profession of faith, and that profession of faith needs to be made publicly, and I would argue it needs to be made publicly in front of those who will hold you accountable, who will rejoice with you. Which and will who covenant will covenant together. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, re- I really do regret doing that. Mm-hmm. I rejoice that my brother-in-law was converted, um, and he's a faithful member of a local church now. Uh, but, I, but I could have baptized him in the church that he's actually now mm-hmm. a member of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so secondly, the, uh, so I'm going, am, I, am I going to, to pedo or infant baptism? I won't use the, mm-hmm. the 21st. That, that that original baptism was, is valid. Now that he's professed, and, yeah. and and we'll have—I mean, we're going to deal with this. Yeah, throughout. yeah. So, so the, maybe not, maybe just the act of it. So the Westminster Confession argues that a baptism is valid, or in it, it, essentially, it's retroactively or proactively applied. Right? Correct me if I'm wrong here, right. but the but the basic gist of it is, if you were baptized as an infant, and I'm using the word baptism loosely because I'm going to have a Baptist call me and be angry with me that I even use the word, um, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was my. <laughs> We're all squirming. Sorry, I think this will be the squirm um, yeah, yeah. podcast. So, <laughs> so, um, so essentially, the idea is it's proactively uh, applied, and, and should they into the covenant, right? And so therefore, and then and then the grace that is that is given at baptism yes. will be applied at conversion, or it'll be a sign of judgment for them should mm-hmm. they apostatize. Yeah, yeah. So that's the basic gist of it. I would say that it's not a valid baptism at all. Okay. Or proper. Okay. And we'll, we're, we're, I've got another yeah. question. We'll round all this out. So, yeah. so I've got uh, a quote from uh, a Presbyterian uh, denominational website, and we're going to break this. Uh, I'll, I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll break it down into three points, and then like to hear you, Lawson, just elaborate on maybe the distinct differences. Uh, so here's the quote from the Presbyterian. Uh, it says, in totality, here we go. We believe the Bible teaches that baptism is a covenant sign for believers and their children. We do not think that baptism saves someone, but it signifies them as a part of the community of the church receiving all of the benefits of that community. As an infant, parents bring their child to be baptized in obedience to God, trusting that the child will one day respond to God's promises in faith. Is that Will? Does that hold water? Like that's 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 what you've been taught. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Will, uh, excuse me, Lawson. Number one, and I guess every question. So I've got I've got three sentences or three uh, thoughts that I'll read back to you, and I want you to answer anything problematic to a Baptist here. Okay. Okay. So number one, from that same quote, we believe the Bible teaches that baptism is a covenant sign for believers and their children. Anything problematic here for a Baptist? Wait, read that back to me. We believe the Bible teaches that baptism is a covenant sign for believers and their children. Uh, yeah. 
to the problematic is that it's it's for believers, not for their children. Right. Necessarily. Lord willing that our children will be converted. Certainly. And will, yeah. And you, I mean, the other day when you were on the phone with Will and you were pitching him with the sweet little fellowship just across yeah, the yeah, state yeah, line, yeah. you said, yeah. we'll pray for your children. Yeah. And we do. We pray every Thursday. Yeah. Going back to, going back to uh, Spurgeon, we uh, Spurgeon coined the term watch care. And so the basic premise is if a child is inside of a Baptist church, we mark them as these are souls that we pray for that the Lord would bring them into the kingdom. Yeah. All right, so number two. We do not think that baptism saves someone, but it signifies them as a part of the community of the church, receiving all the benefits of that community. So nothing particularly there right. because I, I and, and actually standing on its own. Yeah, I mean, standing on its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Children, obviously, yeah. but we've already dealt with that. Absolutely. Point, yeah. So on face value, you know. Yeah. All right, number three, as an infant. Parents bring their child to be baptized in obedience to God, trusting that the child will one day respond to God's promises in faith. Anything problematic to a Baptist here? Y'all, he's got the biggest, like... So I think it's disobedience. Cat sm- smile right now. I think it's disobedience. Okay. I think it's sin to offer the sign of the covenant to one who is... To willingly offer the sign of a covenant to one who is... No, we know is not a part of it. At this point, anyway. So... Do you think that this is why, like, baby dedication originates in Baptist life? Perhaps. I was thinking about this. Yeah, like, I don't, where did that like, I really don't know the historical, in? and actually the, the London Baptist Confession gives you permission to, to do a baby dedication, but we will never do that here. Yeah. Because I, I think it's a violation of the regular principle of worship. Okay. It's not, it's never positively commanded. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. If it was positively commanded, we would do Y'all, it every time Lawson a child's and I have never talked about it. This was not a question I had thought of. But it was just like on the spot. So I'm yeah. more like, uh, okay, interesting. I'd yeah. never thought through this. So, um, Will, question for you. You mentioned 1045. <laughs> so uh, you've had men profess faith through the ministry, yes. obviously the ministry of the Lord, but carried out uh, under the banner of 1045. When, and I know of one, mm-hmm. and... Uh, when he professed faith, who uh, I won't say who baptized him, but how, I'll say, yeah, how was he baptized? At a don't say the church either. I just want to know not, mode of baptism because this is why we are Baptist. He was not sprinkled. <laughs> he was dunked. He was dunked. Full immersion, right? Yes. Uh, All the way under. Lawson, why does immersion matter? So immersion matters for a plethora of reasons. Um, Number one, it matters because I think that's the way it's been commanded to be done. Um, but the, symb- the symbolism behind it obviously is vitally important. So baptism carries two meanings, um, which, well, some would argue three, which is like washing or cleansing. Mm-hmm. The other one is union, and the other one is immersion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think baptism set forth in the New Testament is a baptism by immersion, primarily because that baptism symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. Mm. And also, not only is it a proclamation of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, it's also a proclamation of our own death and admittance of need of judgment. Mm. So when we go underwater... Um, and I think this is something that the Presbyterians do an excellent job of highlighting that Baptists have forgotten. Um, and that's that should you be baptized on a false profession of faith, that baptism is judgment to you. Mm. And we tell everybody here, for instance, that if they are going to go into those waters under a false profession, that we would say, though you may come up physically, you have not come up spiritually. Mm. You are under the judgment of God. Mm. Um, 
And so, uh, like for instance, in Romans chapter 6, it makes clear that you're baptized into Christ Jesus, you're buried therefore with him in a death like his, that you might live with him in a life like his. And so when we talk about baptism, and, and specifically immersion, it symbolizes death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, a proclamation of the gospel. It symbolizes our own death, burial, and resurrection. So we died in Christ, now we live in him. And it also is... Um, it is a symbol, right, of being cleansed by the Spirit. Mm. Um, and so it's a, as the coined phrase often goes, it's a symbol of what has already occurred. Mm. So um, another question for you, Lawson. So did seminary help you at all to better understand baptism versus like what you had already concluded prior to seminary in regards to baptism? Was there anything there that was helpful for you? So I wish I could answer this question in a more positive statement. Uh, the answer is no. Okay. Um, Baptists don't do a very good job of teaching Baptist doctrine. Okay. Um, so speaking of seminary, that, that reminds me, we have a question from uh, our friends over at the uh, Good Doctrine podcast, and they uh, they asked Lawson, uh, Lawson, was lunch your favorite subject in seminary? <laughs> 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 so no, 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 that's that's not their question. That That's... I guess the question I... Uh, <laughs> it's you trolling? Yeah, trolled. Uh, so here's their serious question. What was your favorite course and why? Um, so my favorite courses were all systematic theologies, but but I have to say that because those were the most influential. But my favorite course, like in actuality, was preaching to, because me, John Lewis, who's a brother now, who's at Audubon Park in Memphis, um, and, a, and another guy named Justin Wilson, we preached through books together in mm. preaching class, which was one of my all-time favorite things ever. So our question uh, back to them is, what's your favorite sack lunch? <laughs> so... And it goes back to like our so Will Will's looking at me like what in the world? So this goes back to our serious question, sack lunch. Yeah. So Will, this goes back to I think it's important to display our personalities, right? Because <laughs> they they are endearing. That that people in some of our, them are endearing. <laughs> some attributes or characteristics are endearing. Uh, Will, answer me. What's your favorite sack lunch from being a kid? <laughs> <laughs> Was it Mom's love note? Did you ever get a love note from no, mom? No, 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 never. I got I, bro, I never got that. I was so embarrassed. I never got that. Oh no. Okay, so what what was your favorite sack lunch? I always had like a ham or turkey sandwich. Okay. What kind of chips? Regular laser Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> Any fruit snacks or applesauce or anything? Uh, no, I don't think bro. so. I think it was I think it was lunch and chips. Okay. Lawson. So no telling the years. No, this is no. So like my fourth grade, my fourth and fifth grade class, uh, we had a microwave, and uh, so my mom would pack like I had this little container, and I, and it would have like ravioli or chicken noodle soup or something mm. like that. Yeah, yeah. And so I would eat that. It's great. To go back, so because I went to three schools, but. I would say the square pizza on the tray. And yeah. The it had the Mexican meat that on was, it. That was my Taco favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only one that experienced that? That, yeah, that meat on that. there ours was, just cheese was pizza. taco meat. Oh, ours was pepperoni. It was those little square pepperonis. Oh, okay. Ours was just a big slice of square cheese pizza. And some... That has no crunch to it at no. all. Yeah. yeah. It was it's, a tortilla. Yeah. Some, <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing was left over from Taco Day. <laughs> <laughs> taco tater, Tuesday, Pizza Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
All right, so Lawson, you said to me the other day when we were talking about this. So I have to be careful what I say to you during the week now. Well, I do recall a lot, (laughs) and it does come back to haunt people. So uh, Lawson, you said to me, being a Baptist distinguishes itself in our practice and in our polity. Yeah. So Will talking about big words. Yes. I I was like polity. Whatever. So after I have to, I mean, I'm I'm self admittedly saying like I was like, okay, so define polity for me. Help me recall this. Polity is how we govern. Like there is a uniqueness about Baptist polity, how we govern ourselves. Okay. Okay. So let me let me continue. So you've defined it. So you also said to me, as Baptists in fellowship, we must be united in our doctrines. Yeah, because we're congregationalists. And I said, why? Because we're congregationalists. Okay. In regards to baptism and baptism is a doctrine. We must be united in our doctrine. And so why? You said we are congregationalist. So why is that essential? It's essential for unity. It's also essential because we believe in the priesthood of every believer. Every member of this congregation understands the doctrines that we hold to, and we expect over time in their in, in discipleship and training that they will be able to not only give a defense for those doctrines, birth from love, right? We mm-hmm. defend things that we love. Mm-hmm. So a love for those doctrines, that's a defense of them. So you shared with me, so this this doesn't hold true to every Baptist church because we have the yeah. autonomy of the local church. So you shared with me that you had met someone at another Baptist fellowship that, and, and you, let me say it, um, they were a Pado Baptist. Yeah. And... You, you said, well, well, are you practicing? I said, did you baptize your children? And he, this person says, no. Yeah, and I said, you're not a paid baptist Okay, but he was allowed to yeah. exist within that covenant faith family holding a view yeah. that was, I guess, uncommon, like dissenting yeah. from, so like we, so he, so is that normal? Uh, no, it's not normal. That's I, an I was actually crazy surprised by that I, when I, when I, when they told me that, I was I was actually somewhat taken aback. I love this guy. I, I literally had coffee with him a couple of days ago. He's a sweet, precious brother. Loves the Lord. But it was just surprising to me that that was, that's normalized. Okay, so we have essentially. Let me just let me paint the picture for us. We have a Baptist church with a member that believes in pedo baptism, but doesn't practice it. Doesn't have a platform to practice it. So will. Do I recall this correctly, that you, so you were, or are, an ordained deacon, and within your time of review, is this a, is this what you descended on, like, to the session? I remember you descended on something. Was this it? Like, you were like, hey, I don't know about pedo-baptism. So I, so I wanted to paint these two polar pictures, though very similar, that yeah. will... In some sense, and I don't want to take any words, but I do want to explain clearly before you add color. way to, to infant baptism. To infant baptism. But I wouldn't, I mean, but I you, submitted to it. So but I you would, practiced it. Right. So, the, so the, it's almost like the opposite is yeah, true. Yeah, it is kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, so we studied one side of the coin. It's like, here's a guy in a Baptist fellowship that believes in paedo baptism, doesn't practice it. And then we have Will, who dissented around objecting to pedo baptism for his for just in general, but yet you practiced it. Have all, all children? All okay. four. All four. Okay. I'm married to a Baptist wife, by the way, too. So. Oh, it gets 
<laughs> gets even more deeper and deeper we go. Dun, dun, now, dun. Maybe she is. She's just not practicing. EPC uh, is pretty close <laughs> to y'all. So uh, a gentleman on our men's theology Thursday, and by the way, that's what I want to start calling it, men's theology Thursday. All right. Okay. I don't care. So he said this morning when we were explaining these two individuals, what do you call it? Cognitive dissonance. 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 Yeah, you both are existing in cognitive. <laughs> Will just shook his head disgust. <laughs> okay. Would you admit so? Uh-uh, whatever. <laughs> All right, so baptism is one thing, obviously, we've been talking about. So Baptists and Presbyterians agree that, and these are some places that, that Presbyterians and Baptists agree. I just want to highlight this. Baptists and Presbyterians agree that the Bible should inform and direct the way the church is governed at the local level. We share this significant commonality. Mm. We acknowledge theologically, you'll have your moment, we acknowledge theologically the sufficiency of scriptures, excuse me, the sufficiency of scripture. Particulars and details may vary. This can be seen in the shared respects of the ministries of Ligon Duncan at Ligonier Ministries, which is a Presbyterian resource, and Mark Devers mm. at Nine Marks, which is a Baptist resource. What are you mm-ing about? Ligonier is not expressly Presbyterian. Collectively, though, they are more Presbyterian. Not anymore, they're not. Okay, well, let me just finish with the okay, analogy. I'll leave it alone. So each of these ministries recommend the other as reliable resources for each of their followers to leverage. However, Ligonier being predominantly Presbyterian and Nine Marks predominantly Baptist. No, it's... Ex- it's, ex- it's Okay. Like... Distinctly. Quit poking holes in my examples. I'm not po- Just go okay. along. Yes, sir. So where in the particulars uh, and the details do we Baptists differ with Presbyterians? So I'll answer that question. One of these particulars is in the doctrine and practice, as we've discussed, the ordinance of baptism. So, uh, and I, I, I want to do another comment on tradition. So, of course, our only infallible rule for faith and practice is not tradition, either old or new, but rather the Word of God. Nevertheless, we believe that humility and wisdom commend the careful consideration of what our fathers in the faith have taught and practiced. We are not the sole possessors of truth, and we are very prone to be blind at the very points perhaps where they saw clearly. The least we can say from this historical survey of Baptist confessions is that it is, a, it is false to say that the eldership is unbaptistic. On the contrary, mm. the eldership is more Baptistic than its absence, and its disappearance is a modern phenomenon that parallels other unbiblical developments in doctrine that make its disappearance questionable at best. So, Will, when I was going through the particulars of where we agree, and mm. I mentioned the governance of the church, you went with one of those specially coined will <laughs> mm. don't know about that and i know you well enough after being friends for so long what did you want to add well it was more on the presbyterian side just that and i was maybe it's because we have too many variant strains of presbyterianism but there's several that would would probably not lean towards the bible informs your oh as the only governance. source of infallible truth yeah. for directing Faith and um, practice. Not mine. I thought you were maybe yeah, saying with like Baptist with elders because I, well, I think that that's was a the, huge. The second elder deacon. But that, I mean, again, that's non essential. So let's discuss these dis- distinctions for Liberty. our own benefit yeah. as well for our listening audience. So 
where we have agreed on is sufficiency of Scripture. We've agreed on tradition. So how... What did, tradition? Hold on. Just the fact that tradition is not... Like, like I don't want to use... Uh, obviously, the Catholic Church looks towards tradition. And I don't even want to just define church. I mean, we're using the word term church loosely. But I think that's where they're... The source is coming from that I'm quoting okay. is the fact that we look towards the sufficiency of Scripture to dictate faith and practice, and we don't look towards tradition on things that— We both say we don't look towards that's tradition. That's right. Again, we're dealing with—part okay. of the theme yeah. here is cognitive dissonance, <laughs> if you'll pick up on this. Yeah. Because we say one thing, then we do another, which is an interesting human trait, which is mm-hmm. probably not <laughs> one we should <laughs> propagate. <laughs> so um, my question is, if we if we agree on like the sufficiency of Scripture should dictate our, our faith and practice, and that tradition is something we can look back on, which is helpful, but it, yeah. sh- it doesn't override Scripture. Is that a fair way to classify that? Sure. Okay. That. Uh, how did we miss each other in regards to what? baptism? Well, you're sure was hesitant. I know, My sure is hesitant because because one of the major tenets of sola scriptura, yeah, some of, one of the major tenets of sola scriptura is that tradition is is completely yeah, under, under the, the authority, authority of, yeah. of scripture. Right. Yeah, and but so, I'm saying it's, yeah. we don't throw it out. Yeah, but the issue so this is this is I think an issue with sola scriptura is that a lot of times we say, "Oh, yes, we believe in sola scriptura, but we also hold to this or this." And 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 normally what happens is there's going to be a moment where sola scriptura and tradition, or I think even more modernly, feels, um, so I call it sola feels, um, will, will clash. Well, I think, where, I think the resource that I'm quoting is using traditional and helpful sense, declaring that the disappearance of eldership yeah. in, in, in modern Christianity is a phenomenon. Yeah, it is. It is. That's and true. So, and yeah. so I'm not using like tradition in to like tear down. Like yeah, I'm saying like they're looking back and saying in the last 500 years, the uh, uh, elder governance has disappeared within Baptist life. And yeah. that's, a, that's a recent phenomenon. And we would do well if we look at the sufficiency of Scripture, then we see it there. Yeah. And then we also see it disappear from tradition, mm-hmm. and so that that's an issue. So I, for me, like that's a helpful perspective yeah, to take fair. on how, how tradition can inform our decisions. So back to sufficiency of Scripture. Yeah. How do Presbyterians and Baptists currently miss each other when it comes to the practice of baptism? Um, so I think... So normatively, the argument is that we view the Old Testament and the New Testament through a different lens. So right. Baptists traditionally hold to a New Testament priority, meaning that we interpret and see the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. Um, and so essentially, we view the Old Covenants through the New Covenant. Um, and then the other way is to essentially go for a type of continuity that is one-to-one throughout the entirety of, of, of history, which is, for instance, Israel and the church are the exact same thing. Um, circumcision, the one-to-one there would be baptism. It's one-to-one. And I think that's really how that progresses. That's one of the ways we miss each other in Sola Scriptura. But then I think the other side of that is there is tradition that has taken rise against, mm-hmm. is what I would say. So yesterday when we were talking through this— um, I mean, being a reform fellowship, yeah, Lawson. We all love John Calvin's work, yeah, but he was wrong 
in regards to pedo baptism. <laughs> I would agree. So, how, like, how did he? Like, I mean, I guess historically, how? I mean, how did how did he arrive at that position? Because yesterday or a couple days yeah. ago, we were talking about that. You, you were adding some color here, which I thought. <clears> yeah. Be. So because I mean, you think about it. So Luther's understanding of baptism was still a washing away of original sin. Mm. Calvin's understanding progressed a little bit from there, but we have to remember these are these are first generation and second generation reformers, and they were doing everything they could to uphold the authority of Scripture and also to argue for justification by faith alone. These, this was their this was the dog in their fight, right? Mm. This is what they were fighting against. They were trying to reclaim biblical salvation, mm. and so there was progression there. And I would argue that the if we hold to what is commonly referred to as the battle cry of the reformation which is semper reformanda they mm-hmm. were always reforming mm-hmm. then you would essentially fall into a baptist category mm-hmm. but th- but it's not a surprise that john calvin or luther coming out of a catholic tradition aren't don't reform everything on the spot mm-hmm. um, and so you but you see progression so mm-hmm. luther's understanding calvin calvin disagreed with vehemently mm-hmm. um, and calvin's view is still to this day the Presbyterian view mm-hmm. um, in most Presbyterian churches anyway. Um, and it's only one of the arguments I think that readily comes is that that paedo-baptism is very historical, meaning that there were centuries of paedo-baptism, mm-hmm. which, which I would say, yeah, okay, that's mm-hmm. true, but it's only 500 years old. Mm-hmm. Calvin's view is only 500 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and credo-baptism, for instance, has never been debated. Mm-hmm. So, Will, how old are you? 42. So I was telling Lawson the other day, Lawson, how 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 far apart are we? What would we determine? Eleven years. years. So we're eleven years apart, and I'm, I think I'm, I'm a, a year younger, younger. forty one. So I told Lawson, I said, "There's this transition in in life where, um, when somebody asks your age, you're not trying to be that next year anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you remember this? Like at some point, like you're 28 and you're around some older people, and you're like, well, 'Well, I'm gonna be 20.' Instead of saying like I'm 28, like you would say when you were turning 29." But at some point, like, that disappears, mm-hmm. and you really don't care what anybody thinks about you. Like, you become really comfortable in your own skin. Like, I don't know when that happens, but probably that's <laughs> probably around 40. I don't know. So, and, and I think I, I coined this term as, like, I'm, gonna, I'm a grown man. I'm going to do whatever I want because I really don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I'm just going to be transparent. It's like right. what I was asking you today. Like, you know, hey, do you care about talking about this? And I think, essentially, you're like, I'm 42 years old. We'll talk about whatever. I am who I am. And Age so, doesn't matter. I'm a saved individual by Christ, and that's all that really matters. <laughs> so true. I mean, we can talk about all the stuff if you want, but yeah. So my next question, all of that leads me to my next question, which is, Lawson, is it wise to baptize someone without bringing them into church membership? And so let me let me just by your so. You know, I think I think when you reach that age, you can call an error an error and not have to like hide it. And so for me, like there was a guy, a good friend of mine, that professed faith, and the church that I was attending at the time allowed me uh, because he was someone who had sought out my counsel and shared the gospel and professed faith. And even though he was covenant member or about or, or going to be uh, a covenant member of another fellowship, like they allowed me to baptize in that in that fellowship. And so that leads me to my next question, which kind of goes back to like the situation with the young man that came to faith through ten forty five. Like you're you're doing these things, you know. Um, but I think like at this point, at the age that we're at, I'd like to hear, with no one getting offended, just take your scalpel of snark 
and answer me, is it wise to baptize someone without bringing them into church membership? And why? And you touched on this earlier with your brother-in-law, but yeah. just maybe expound a bit. No, it's not wise. Um, it's not wise because Christians are meant to be in community, and there is there is a need. going. This goes back to elders, I think. There is a need to be under um, the loving care of a church that includes the congregation and elders. I mean, elders are given to keep watch of your soul. Mm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I tell, like, so Saturday we'll have young men come in, and we do a cohort, and we discuss different doctrines, and one of the things we have to do is talk about how you've cared for the flock of God that you're a part of. And if, if, we, if you don't have that, if you're not baptized into a body of believers, and there's no one watching over your soul, um, then, it's not, then it is really not a surprise to me that you go wayward. Um, God has uh, organized and constructed their constructed the body of Christ to care for souls, and there's no other institution that can do it. Mm. So it's dangerous. It's so dangerous. You yeah. made a public profession. Satan will attack you. Yeah, and you're gonna, so we're going to baptize you here and not surround you with believers mm-hmm. that are drinking or eating meat instead of drinking milk. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. why would we do that? Mm-hmm. There is there is a real sense in that, like uh, a a Christian being born again. There's there's clear language there that they are an infant, right? They're mm-hmm. they're they're children, mm-hmm. and so there has to be uh, mature men. I think First John does a great job of walking through mm-hmm. like mature men and fathers, and you have to have those people mm-hmm. around you to protect you. So I was I was reminded, and you were talking about what Presbyterians do well, which is teaching the judgment yeah. of baptism, right? And and I think I think like I appreciate. Uh, especially the reformers' position on looking at the Old Testament as an example Absolutely. Of, for the church, right? I wouldn't say that we enter into it and, and displace the commonwealth. I would say that the commonwealth is a, is a real thing. Mm-hmm. They are a historical nation, and they did, in fact, have promises. But yet the church can look towards them and say, just like then, right, had you seen the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God had made a way for you to join the commonwealth, mm-hmm. maybe not with full rights of a, of a true citizen, but yet there there was a means way made in which you could then travel with them. And so to your point, Will, it's like, you know, we're almost putting them with the church, but yet not with us, you know, and I think the real distinctive is like the church upholds that anyone who cries, Abba, Father, says, come, let us now go to the mountain of God, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some accountability and responsibility there to help them grow and nurture them in love and admonition for the Lord. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So when affirming, Lawson, when affirming someone's baptism, what factors do we uphold? Uh, so first, Trinitarian. Okay. Um, secondly, uh, post-conversion. Okay. After conversion. And thirdly, by immersion. Okay. So let's take, for example, if Will moved his entire family to this sweet little fellowship. <laughs> Just across the state line. Just across the state line. Yeah. What, how, would we, how would we welcome someone like that into yeah. membership here, like yeah. from a practice standpoint? Because, I mean, you told me just, you know, theologically, yeah. doctrinally, what we would do, but just practice. What would that have, you like? been, have you been baptized? I've been sprinkled. So no, okay, got you. Um, <laughs> so no. <laughs> so, um, so uh, Will's laughing, but 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 so actually, it's, it really is an important distinction because the, for yeah, instance, funny. most huh, yeah, but this uh, this, is, this is the important distinction yeah. because I, it's 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 an interesting conversation because like what you're upholding and how we would accept like this this is helpful. This is where we would go and you would because you would say that ours is not 
Right. Valid nor proper. Right. And so, therefore, we need to do it again. Not and again. We, not again. Not again. We, right. Well, because you would say the first one didn't count. Yeah. From from our standpoint, we would say, I've had it. But were you baptized as an infant? Yes. Okay. Oh, so you were, you, ra- you were raised Presbyterian? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. So let me ask you this. What if someone, not a child of a believer, remember the Presbyterian statement, okay. baptism is for parents and, and children of children. A believing parents. Yeah. So let's say someone entered the Presbyterian church as an adult, got sprinkled, i.e. baptism, and Baptists believe that immersion matters, so we'll, we'll call it baptism, but no, it's a sprinkle. What would then be the factor of moving someone's membership from that position within a Presbyterian church mm-hmm. and life and community and accepting them into faith family within? And obviously there's some autonomy of the local church. So when I say Mercy Hill, it doesn't mean all Baptist church. Right. But we would assume that the position that we hold is one that would be held by Baptists at large. So. How, how so adult would, adult comes into a Presbyterian church is sprinkled. Yeah, never been infant baptized. But yeah, been so. Let's, let's say even throw in after after profession of faith. Yeah, after profession yeah. of faith, they would need to be baptized. Okay. Yeah. And the reality would be, will because the mode matters. Would you submit? I probably wouldn't. You wouldn't. But I, you do submit now to your the teaching of your elders. Would I submit to what? What do you mean? So if you're if so, just from an example of like moving a membership from current Presbyterian church with infant baptism to Baptist church, which requires immersion of baptism, requires an yeah. immersion. I would, on that instance, I would say if you if you're an adult making profession of faith and you've been baptized, I would probably disagree with that. I would say he's been baptized. He should be welcomed into the church. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, I would say, but I actually really appreciate the consistency because yeah, most of the time did. there's some real inconsistency yeah, there. Because was, if you believe, yeah, because if you believe it to be baptism, then it was quite foolish for you to be by that assessment rebaptized. Yeah. And that's where actually the term Anabaptist came from. It's because they believe that the valid that that uh, the sprinkling or a or a pedo baptism was a valid baptism, and we were rebaptizing. Essentially, we were denying the one baptism, mm-hmm. which. I wholeheartedly disagree with, and I actually, the reason I wholeheartedly disagree with that is I think the apostles would have wholeheartedly disagreed with mm-hmm. it. But, um, but So anyway. you wanted to make sure, Lawson, that we covered, so we've covered a lot of technical aspects yeah. of baptism and a lot of back and forth between the two two sides of the coin yeah. of essentially whatever you want to describe, you know, the, the paedo-baptist and yeah. a Baptist fellowship and a in a Baptist in a Presbyterian fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's now talk about the unity that but we so you share. But I don't think we can call him. That. I know we can't. Yeah, because it, so I was actually because he said that at one point we were talking about this, and you said, and he said, no, he he dissented. I think you did, right? You dissented on baptism. We talked about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so like, but, but the issue is like if you if you that that seems inconsistent to me then because if you would deny if you would deny the like baptism via immersion then essentially the modes are relevant altogether for you i uh, i mean probably okay like yeah i was just i was just curious i'm not i'm not like 
Yeah, sorry, well, I didn't mean to. He said the modes because it matters. Yeah, but you I think you, I think mode matters. Yeah, so I think where, I really where do I think was getting matters, at yeah. with him is I think he's consistent in submitting to the council of his elders. I agree. Yeah. So I that, that's why I was asking and not an where example. Where I would but say is in that example he's been baptized. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. But I was thinking that I think will if he if he was keeping himself consistent that if he would he submit to the teaching of his elders and actually be immersed and baptized to enter into a Baptist fellowship. Yeah, if I and that would come be, here. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be assuming that you desire to join the fellowship. Then my thought is you that would be an interesting that would syllogism to work through. Yeah. That would take time. Yeah. But that's the thing too. Like going back to congregationalist, like I'm not I don't I'm not gonna baptize someone who's unwillful. Right. Right. Like if you're like, I want to join this congregation, I'm like, well you have to be baptized and you're like fine. Get I don't, in the water. I don't, yeah, get in the, yeah, but, but like, <laughs> gone, no. it's like, no, I'm not doing it, but I don't, you know, I force it down. Him. Like, I don't, that's not, that's not what we want. Like no, the distinction so of congregation. Yeah. But this leads me to my, to my question yeah. for you, because I think we've gone through a lot of technical aspects yeah. and we're like, so the beauty. Yeah. So the beauty of baptism, expound on that. Because so we, we just made, we just made light of pushing yeah. Will into the baptistry yeah. as he shook his head no. And that's yeah. not the picture yeah. at all. No, not at all. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the Get beauty. in. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. So I think one of the biggest problems with Baptists today is that Baptists don't understand why they're Baptists. They mm-hmm. assume it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also means they don't understand paedo-baptism. Cultural. Cultural. Yeah, yeah, yeah cultural for sure. Baptist, for sure. Yeah. Well, I wish that it was just cultural Baptist. I think there are... I'm saying they're born into yeah, the Baptist yeah, yeah, culture, for sure. and yeah. they don't know why they're there. They don't know why they are Baptist. Yeah. They were just born there. Right, and so I got a phone call the other day from a dear brother of mine who calls me and says, hey, I think I'm, I'm going to be a Presbyterian because I, I think that I, I think pedo-baptism is, is pretty. Like, that was essentially what mm-hmm. he was saying. And I said, "That's." I said, "I get why you think it's pretty. Like, I, I get the loveliness of it. You think that you think that God has told you that He will save your children indefinitely, um, and at least I think that's the consistent understanding of that. Um, and I get the beauty of that, absolutely. And I asked him on the back end of that, why are you? Why were you ever a Baptist? I said, why do you believe in baptism, credo baptism? Why do you believe in baptism by immersion after conversion? And he said, because I don't see credo. I don't. I don't see pedo baptism ever commanded anywhere in Scripture." And I said, that's a really terrible reason to be a Baptist, because all you're doing is disagreeing with another position. And so the reason um, credo baptism, in my opinion, is beautiful is because it highlights the unity between the sign and the reality. Mm. Right. So the sign is and this is why I love the Westminster Confession of Faith's first paragraph on baptism is stunningly beautiful. Mm. Um, it walks through the, the washing of, of regeneration, the removal of sin, union with Christ, to which every Baptist should read and say yes and amen. And the beauty of it is that we say, when, when someone walks through that water, we're saying um, as a congregation over them, this was a dead man. Mm-hmm. He is coming forward and saying, I deserve the judgment and wrath of God. Mm-hmm. He goes under those waters, and as he does, he's proclaiming, I deserve the judgment mm-hmm. of wrath of God, and somehow he comes out. And those out. waters close over him. Absolutely. There's mm-hmm. nothing left. There's nothing left of that individual. They are dead in their trespasses mm-hmm. and sins, and they profess it. Mm-hmm. And then on the back end, they come out. Mm-hmm. It's like, why in the world did you come out? You shouldn't have come out. You should have Waters been like, death to water for absolutely. Life. You should yeah. have been like the Egyptians in the mm-hmm. sea. That's right. Um, over you. Yeah. But instead, by God's grace to you, yeah, you burst beca- forth. because you died with Christ, yes. you live with him. And so the beauty of it is something that I, that I think is often overlooked. And I mean, when we, when we gather and we, so like we have a baptism this Sunday, um, uh, we have a five-year-old, uh, who was converted. And, um, and so in, in our conversation with them on Sunday, we'll gather and we'll say, 
this is a child of God. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they're a child of a believer. Mm-hmm. They've been born again by the Spirit, and they're a child of God, which means all the riches of heaven are theirs. They're united with Christ. Mm-hmm. They have the remission of sin. We proclaim that over them as a reality mm-hmm. when I think the, 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 I think the other side of that is just not as lovely. But that's, that's why I think the beauty of it is just so rarely mm-hmm. spoken of. Mm-hmm. To close our time, I have a scripture to share with us, and it's Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I want to thank my fellow elder Lawson Harlow and especially thank our friend and our brother Will for joining us today and exploring how we Baptists baptize the children of God when they cry, Abba, Father. And Will, before we go... Have we told you about the sweet little Baptist fellowship just across the state line in Olive Branch, Mississippi? By the name of Mercy Hill, my brothers and my friends, Godspeed.